The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. And sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people. Hi, this is Diana Marzalek. I am with The Homes Report, and I am here with Jim Joseph, CEO of Citizen Relations. And um, Jim, is it fair to call you a Super Bowl fan, or are you just a fan? Super Bowl fan. Advertising <laughs> fan. Advertising fan. So the game, game's not meaning a whole lot to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, last night's game was pretty incredible. I, I think it, it took a lot of the focus off of the advertising, actually, because the game was a real nail-biter, right, right down to the final... I think four seconds, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, you say how it, it did maybe take a little of attention away from the advertising. That was sort of my first question I wanted to ask you was, was this a memorable night in terms of Super Bowl ads? Well, you know, for me, it was a very memorable night because I think the creativity was super high. Uh, in fact, a, a lot of times year after year, in, in fact, I've been following this for, for a very long time, you see a lot of criticism, not only from folks in our industry, but also consumers, about how disappointed they were with the creativity or it didn't, didn't muster up to expectations. I actually think it was a very creative year, but it was a very safe year. Uh, brands really stayed away from any political, social issue, making a stand or a comment on anything. They really stayed away from it and went more for um, being super creative about their product benefits or trying to make an emotional connection, but they stayed safe ground. Creative, but but safe ground. That was very noticeable, especially after last year when we had like the Lumber 84 with the wall. And last year, so 2017, was, was so overtly political, I thought, that you know, I don't know if this was sort of recalibrating to where we usually are or if this is was particularly apolitical this year. I think it was particularly apolitical, and, and I think it was because there's been so much controversy just in general, and the, the nation is very divided, and it's been very divided over NFL players and the, and the league and the sport itself, that I think that brands just decided not to go there. And I think that they listened to people, and, and there was a lot of commentary from fans and from viewers saying, I just want to watch the game. I don't want to be reminded about all this divisiveness. I just, I just want to enjoy. And I think brands, brands responded. I, I don't know if it's a permanent shift, but I think it was a, a temporary shift anyway for, for this moment in time. And, and tell me about the, you said this was though sort of a, a high in terms of creativity. So what were you thinking of? What were your favorites or what, what sort of, uh, what were some of those high points? Well, it's funny, even the, even the brands that focused purely on kind of product benefits, they did it in really super creative ways. So for example, Doritos and Mountain Dew, you know, they had a basically a lip sync battle uh, between uh, Blaze and, and Ice. With, with a lot of celebrity mixed in. I mean, it was just super creative, super engaging, but yet you got the benefits of the product, of, of Blaze and, and of, of Ice. If you think about Febreze, you know, talking about um, its core product benefit, I mean, it, they made that very clear <laughs> to uh, Super Bowl party throwers that this product is going to help you deal with um, with the, the party. They made it, you know, extremely clear that way, which is just really smart and creative and... Um, and to the point, Jeep, for example, they had their anti-manifesto ad where they just basically showed the vehicle in action 
um, and said, we're going to skip the hype and we're going to skip the big greater human truth and we're just going to show you show you what we do in action. It's super creative, super engaging, and, and right to the point, even for the most simplest of ads. Were they speaking specifically to the Super Bowl audience on this or could these be parlayed into others as well? Oh, I, I think it was pretty general. I mean, Febreze was very specific about uh, people throwing Super Bowl parties, but that's probably very easily um, edited. In fact, a lot of that was just in in um, type as opposed to um, the voiceover. So I think I think it was universal. I think they just used the Super Bowl as a launching pad, and and they know that viewers during the Super Bowl they want to be entertained, they want to laugh. They typically are in group settings, so they want to they want to create a spark and a discussion. And I think those those spots did that. But I think we're going to see them pop up at the Academy Awards and primetime television and and all sorts of other things over the course of the next three or four months. And were you surprised by the ads? I mean, were they what you expected? Did you expect them to be more political? Did you expect more of a stance? Um, what was your sort of gut reaction watching the Super Bowl? I thought there was going to be a little bit more, uh, not necessarily politics per se, but I thought there was going to be more unity, uh, more more messaging around us all coming together for the greater good and putting aside our differences and aligning around things that make us all human. I thought we would see more of that. We saw a little bit of it. I mean, Coca-Cola sprinkled it a little bit um, where they talked about we're all individuals and we've all got our own our own place here on the planet. Uh, T-Mobile actually did a little bit with the babies, if you saw that one, where, you know, every baby sort of has a shot and has an equal shot. I mean, there was a little bit of it, but even that was very soft um, and very, not subtle, but but non-controversial. I thought we would see more. Um, I, I, I really did. So I was I was a little surprised, but then as I thought about it, I kind of smiled to myself because I thought, well, that's appropriate. Nobody Nobody wants that thrown in their face at the moment. We're all dealing with it ourselves. And let's just have um, let's just have some entertainment. <laughs> right, there is a point where a football game could just be watching a football game. <laughs> yeah, let's watch a football game. Let's have a laugh. You know, let's let's um, let's celebrate brands that are supporting the sport, and and then go from there. Right. Although there were some philanthropic ones. I saw um, Hyundai had one. The Stella ad with uh, Matt Damon and Anheuser Busch had the water ad in Hurricane Relief. Yeah, that was actually one of my favorites, the um, the Budweiser water one, and where they showed the employees getting out of bed in the middle of the night to go to the plant to to shift the production from beer to water. What what I liked about that one, and I had seen it in previews, so I, I kind of knew that one was coming. In fact, it was the first spot I watched this season, probably about a week or so ago. What I liked about that is it kind of brought together a lot of forces in marketing. So it showed um, it showed charity and giving back to the community, not charity just in terms of donation, but actually giving back to the community. It, sh- it showed a consciousness of, you know, a brand understanding what's going on in the world and understanding that people are in need. So responding to that, it showed employee engagement and actually actively involving their employees in being a part of the community and giving back. Um, and it and it also just sent a, a, a nice message that you could feel good about the company. So I, it sort of checked off a lot of boxes. Um, without being so overt and chest beating, and it, it, it did it in a nice kind of storytelling kind of way. Yeah, it felt pretty authentic. And I, I guess these are real life things that they really, it's not just showing the motions, they actually went through this. So, uh... actually did it, yeah. Right. They, they actually did it. I think the same is true of, the, of Toyota and their. Um, their, their sponsorship of, um, of athletes of all different kinds and the whole notion of, you know, it, it, when you can move anything as possible. I thought that was so beautifully done, supporting one of the uh, Paralympic athletes 
Um, and, and also weaving subtly, weaving in their own product lines because their, their product lines are all about innovation and movement and moving people around. So I thought that was very well done. Not necessarily CSR per se, although sponsoring the Paralympics is, is CSR, uh, but more just sort of inspiring us to, to be what we want to be and to, and to move. I imagine with the Olympics coming up too. I mean, they're kind of setting the stage for the whole next round of ads that we're going to see in the sort of sports world and uh, right, and all right. of that. I think we'll see a, we'll see a lot of these. I think, um, and then we'll probably see. To your point, we'll see a whole new crop of of um, going for your goals and getting through hurdles and overcoming obstacles and all all that kind of good stuff that comes with the the inspirational part of the Olympics. Yes. The one ad that I hear has gotten some blowback, um, reading about the Ram trucks using the Martin Luther King speech. Um, any reaction yeah. to that? I mean, was is there some point where some things should not be in an ad? Um, oh. Well, was it interesting? I, every year I hold a Twitter party during the Super Bowl. It's it's um, on the hashtag Super Bowl EXP. I've been doing it for a number of years now, and it, it's mostly industry folks, quite honestly. Although a lot of consumers jump in, jump into they they discover the hashtag and they start commenting. But basically, we talk about the advertising. So we get very quiet when the game's on, <laughs> and we're just watching the game. And then as soon as the advertising kicks it, everybody starts commenting. And it was interesting because up until then, most of the commentary was was pretty positive. And and I can't remember exactly when that spot ran, but it was fairly early in the game. It was maybe towards the end of the first quarter or the beginning of the second quarter. And up until then, most of the commentary was pretty pretty positive. And again, non-controversial. I think people were just kind of enjoying it. And then that drew this immediate, huh? Like the, um, the initial reaction was, where did, where did that come from? And I think that was the problem. It, it was just, there was a disconnect and it didn't necessarily tie together um, not only Martin Luther King and, and his his story of serving and, and service, but then tying that back to the truck, and it was just very, it kind of came out of nowhere, and I think it, it struck people that way, and, and I've read a few of the articles overnight um, that reactions were kind of like it just didn't, it just didn't connect, and it felt a little... Um, a little disingenuous, I think, was the problem. Right, trying um, almost trying a little too hard, perhaps, or whatever the the comments were. The other ad I was surprised about was Wendy's taking on McDonald's so overtly. Um, the quote I have was, "Skip the frozen hamburgers at the frozen arches." So that is, um, you can't get much more uh, overt than that. No, you know, and, and I I have my own personal thoughts about that. In fact, I when I saw it in the previews, I didn't I didn't comment on it, but when it aired. Um, I commented on it right away. I, I just don't think I'm not a big believer in in hardcore competitive um, smashing in in advertising. I think there's a place and a time from a marketing standpoint to be competitive. Um, but that sort of overt just slamming the competition, I, I don't think that's what people I don't think that's what consumers want to see. I don't think consumers want to know that one brand has a competitor or not. And I just don't think they want to see that kind of activity. So again, in my Twitter party, that one, that one was a pretty big fail, to be honest. Lots of comments saying, we don't, we don't want to hear that. You know, tell us, tell us about your brand. Tell, tell us what your brand is doing. Uh, entertain us. Uh, make us feel good about the brand, but don't just slam a competitor. So I, I would tend to agree with that one. What were the other ones that got buzz on your Twitter party? Um, we can, we're on the fails. I don't want to, then we'll go to the positive ones in your favorite, but what were the ones that at least generated buzz one way or the other? Yeah. So the surprise one that kind of came out of nowhere, uh, there were two really. One was uh, Verizon uh, and Verizon honoring the first responders. 
that one got immediate, you know, emojis of people crying and, and, you know, people commenting about what a tearjerker it was. What was great about that spot, though, it, and it came kind of late in the game, is that it tied directly to what Verizon's all about. Verizon connects people, and it allows you to reach out and, and find somebody and to connect with somebody. And I don't know if you saw it, but the, the, the piece of video was all about uh, people who had gone through, um, through a tragedy reaching back out to the first responders who saved them and kind of catching them off guard to say thank you and obviously using Verizon to reach them. So it was just really moving and touching and yet made sense coming from coming from that brand. Absolutely. Go on, I interrupt you, but, please go on. Yeah, the, the biggest buzz though of the night by far was, was from the NFL itself uh, <laughs> with, uh, with Eli Manning doing the, the, the dirty dancing <laughs> Okay. That one got the biggest buzz and I think the, what I saw in people's comments and what I've read this morning in, in sort of the day after analysis was it just like, let's just feel good about the NFL. Like, let's not take ourselves so seriously. This isn't, you know, this isn't politics. This is just a sport. These are, you know, these are just folks playing a game. Granted, they're professionals, but they're they're just playing a game and we're just watching a game. And that spot was so perfect from a tonality standpoint that, you know, they weren't taking themselves seriously. They were just being goofy guys and um, and having some fun. And we all got to laugh along uh, with them. So that I think that one got the biggest buzz of the night, at least from what I could, from what I could tell. Do you have a personal favorite from the night? I think my personal favorite is the the Toyota Paralympics, although for all the reasons that we we chatted about already. Although I have to give, I have to give the brand of the night to Tide. Yes. You know, they <laughs> they were just all over it and. You know, just brilliant in how they use the brand equity from other brands um, to sort of, you know, tell a tied story. And just over and over and over again of, of these repeated little scenes that actually continued on into the night as well, that, that was just brilliant. And, um, you know, each, each one just adding on to the next for this combined effect, that's what, to me, that's Super Bowl advertising. That's using the platform of the biggest event in the world and you know, entertaining people, telling them your message, telling them that you're there, reminding them of, of who you are. Um, I thought that was, I thought that was brilliant. I'd have to agree that that's the one you, after the show, you walk away and you remember the next day. Just for we a good. We couldn't help but right, it just pounded you over the head so many times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, unfortunately, some of these are thirty seconds and they come and go so fast. You know, and and I'm obviously I'm super engaged, and I was taking notes, and you know I was on Twitter, and I knew I was going to be writing about it today, so I'm super engaged. But for the average consumer, these spots fly by in in a whirlwind, and and you're likely to be in a group setting, you're likely to be eating and chatting and drinking with other folks, so it's not like you're paying attention like we do, and. So when you have a repeated message like that that's so consistent over and over and over again over the course of three or four hours, you're going to get remembered, especially if it's entertaining. So I thought that was that was really smart. The Tide ad was also one of, I want to say, three. I remember The Voice, and there was another one where they made a very clear reference or sort of fun of themselves being an ad. They referenced that we were watching a commercial. Right. So that was a right. that was a little new to me too. Um, that's true. No, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a commercial. That's that's actually what I liked about Febreze in a similar kind of manner. They literally called out Super Bowl parties, like they made the reference directly to what was happening in the moment, 
which I thought was smart as well. Absolutely. So what is this, what does last night show you? What's the takeaway in terms of, you know, what brands, where their sort of mindset is now and um, any, does it lay any sort of groundwork for forecasting what the year ahead in marketing, you know, what's on their mind and where it's going? Well, it's interesting because there was definitely a trend up until last night for brands to be much more socially conscious and much more in tune with the, the values and the opinions of their target audience and taking a stand on some of those. I mean, that was definitely a trend. And I don't know that last night reversed it because I don't think that's something that can be reversed in one night. And I actually think that brands being active members of the community is the way we are going from a marketing standpoint. But I do think that last night was a not-so-subtle reminder that there are times to just be entertaining and to just be engaging and to be very mindful of the venue that you're marketing in. So that was a venue that's all about families and friends coming together, celebrating being together, watching something together, reacting to it together, an underdog story, you know, all that's what that was all about. So it was a good reminder for brands that be mindful of the venue. And maybe there's other times when it makes sense to take a more political stand or a social issue or but that was not the time last night and i think brands showed that and i think that they will be rewarded for that excellent so we shall see we uh, shall see all right well i'm glad that there were some highlights in there and that your twitter party <laughs> went went fabulously it was fun. It was fun. and all was good so i appreciate you speaking with us once again thank you diana lots of fun okay great take care bye-bye bye Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Echo Chamber. This is Arun Sudhaman, back in Hong Kong now, after a very intense week in Davos. Uh, and I'm very happy to be joined today by Sarah Crawshaw, who is the Managing Director for Asia Pacific at Taylor Bennett Heyman. Sarah, welcome to the Echo Chamber. Thank you, Aaron. Happy um, to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I, rather than me uh, describe what Taylor Bennett Heyman does, I suspect you would be much better placed to do that. So why don't we start by perhaps you explaining what Taylor Bennett Heyman, Heyman I'm sorry, does. I'm sure many of our listeners already know, but for those that don't, perhaps you can describe the work and, and maybe how it's changed as well, because I suspect what Taylor Bennett Heyman is today might be quite different from what it was perhaps a decade ago. Yes, certainly. Um, so put very simply, we are an executive search firm with a specialist focus on strategic communications, reputation management, corporate affairs. We don't do anything outside of that frame. Mm -hmm. um, our sort of bread and butter work is senior appointments for in-house positions, so working for corporations, um, typically the, the blue chips of this world. Um, uh, I guess the, the biggest change that we've seen is um, probably the, the growth of this, this industry and this field. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, um, we, we didn't have any competitors in, in our home markets of, mm -hmm. of Europe and the US. Now, pretty much all of the general management search firms will have a practice that, that does some work in, in the field of strategic communications, mm. which uh, suggests that you know, this, this function has grown up to sit at the executive level in, mm. in a lot of organisations now, that the general management firms want to do this work. 
Um, I think the other change that we've seen is that our work is much more international. Mm-hmm. And, and that's partly our own growth, but it, it is actually also the, uh, the growth of this, this field. And, you know, here in, in Asia, I mean, I, I think as a profession, this, this function has really um, accelerated in development over the last 10 years. Mm. Yeah, it does seem like a really interesting time for the function, not just in Asia, but globally. Um, I mean, last year we saw so many moves, which um, might, might be structural or, or might, might be um, cyclical, and maybe we can discuss that later on. But first of all, I wanted to talk to you about this report that, uh, that your firm has put out. It's called Communications in Asian Multinational Corporations, uh, and I think this has been produced in conjunction with Edinburgh Business School. That's right. If I'm not mistaken. It's, it's very interesting. So it's a look at how um, the communications function is changing uh, in, Asian, in Asian companies, in Asian MNCs in particular. Yes. Uh, and you've subtitled it a rising function with a growing talent base. The conventional view has always been that um, communications functions in Asia have been perhaps limited by the 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 the, the, the lack of available talent, mm. uh, the limited supply of talent. Um, is that still the case here, do you think? Um, I think there is uh, a developing talent base, and, and this is what this, this report shows. It shows that there are, there are people out there doing communications for for businesses and for Asian businesses specifically and when I say doing communications I I mean actually performing a a strategic role um, shaping the uh, the positioning of of a business and and its its story Um, you know finding people who will uh, tick all of the boxes in in terms of leadership criteria if you're working for a European or US business um, is, uh, is, is more difficult, um, mm. I have to say. You know, this, this profes- profession is, is a new one in Asia and, and therefore it, um, it is still, I think, struggling to attract people at an early stage to, to invest in building their career in this, in this field. But mm. we, we have trapped that over the years and that that is changing people uh-huh. are you know stepping wanting to build a career in this, this area and and that has meant that there has been a, a growth in the the talent base mm. and in terms of the companies that you investigated for this report they're not all um, international companies are they so many many of them will be Asian homegrown yep. multinationals yes. as well we only looked at, at Asian homegrown oh, only businesses. At Asian okay so that's um, interesting and why did you specifically feel that you needed to look at them really we were we were interested to know what dynamics are going on within those businesses in terms of the what the function is is focused on um, how it's shaped uh, and and also, you know, whether there whether there is a, a strong existing talent base there, because typically, I have to say, most of our client base, not entirely, but most of our client base is made up of European and US multinational companies, who continuously struggle um, to find locally 
based talent and and a lot of them a lot of them have an agenda to to localize their um their businesses mm. in in this part of the world and so we were you know we were keen to to sort of look at the the talent base in asian businesses and um i i guess in a sense try to encourage some of our clients to to consider people from from those businesses particularly since you know looking to the future a lot of these asian businesses are are going to make up the the biggest global operators in the world if mm. if you know if the trend follows through so at the moment do you see it almost like two parallel tracks people go to work for western mnc's or they go to work for the asian homegrown mnc's very much very much mm. so um what i what we have seen in in more recent years and and this particularly bears out in china is uh, i would say 4 years ago um was very very attractive um for a lot of people in china in this profession to want to work for a, a US or a European business now that is changing mm. people you know who who had said that to us 4 years ago are are actually quite interested now in in working for a chinese business that is mm. is going global and and that um i guess in the same way that you've seen in the us where people from the the sort of more traditional businesses of this world have have sought to work in the the new industries um that the tech area and, and and those sorts of fields we're we're seeing a similar dynamic in in the respect to you know, these these multinational companies who've operated in Asia for years and and actually on the whole haven't struggled to to attract the best talent in the region i think are going to struggle going forward because mm. these uh, these homegrown businesses in Asia are very attractive mm. and what is it that you feel makes them uh, increasingly attractive in comparison to western mnc's i think it's the the fact that they they are going global a lot of these businesses and they they have those those international aspirations mm. um whereas you know a number of years ago and and China is a, a good case in point a market that that wasn't particularly open and is arguably you know um uh, sort of treading a line between between that at the moment but i i think it's people people in China want to help their country and they want to help with this agenda mm-hmm. and and i think that's that's what's drawing people to these these businesses mm-hmm. and there's an opportunity to shape the story absolutely i guess on a more prosaic level how do the benefits stack up because that's always a factor here right i mean are you seeing yeah. that the homegrown asian mnc's are are spending more on their communicators I very definitely I think one of the things that we found in this report um was was that the reporting lines for instance were often to the most senior leaders in the business to to the top level of the business which which indicates how seriously these businesses take the function mm-hmm. and and they are paying competitively very mm-hmm. competitively mm. so what does that mean for western mnc's who are trying to hire from the same talent pool and um, you have a situation where they have to maybe change their salary policies in 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 certain markets absolutely so that is something we we 
encountered a lot, um, particularly in some of the more expensive markets in Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, China is, is one of those particularly. I mean, there are other markets that are less expensive, but, but more challenging in terms of the talent pool, Japan being one of those. Mm. Um, but, you know, we I could give you an example. We did a, a role a couple of years ago where a business that was facing some some pretty critical reputation issues in in China mm-hmm. and the the candidate the the best candidate in the market that they wanted to hire was paid more than the global CCO wow and that's rare though you would think it is it is rare mm. but it's it, it's not uncommon in this part of the world. People okay. are remunerated yeah. well in this part of the world. If they and I think part of that is due to the um, uh, at the moment there's a rising talent base, mm. you know, and and when that uh, supply of talent increases, of course that will probably most likely by laws of economics feed into the mm. um, uh, the the salary pool and and dilute it a bit. But mm. right now. You know, there there is a a, a thin layer of mm. um, of leadership talent. But uh, yeah, so I guess it's rare in in the sense that it probably doesn't happen outside of Asia that much. No, I mean, but it, it's a it's a fascinating development, I think, and certainly one that I imagine would interest our listeners. That uh, a China CCO, let's say, could potentially earn more than the global CCO from the same company. Yeah. What are the other the other um, I guess, differences you've seen in how these Asian MNCs approach communications compared to their peers in the West? Mm. Um, I think there are, there are lots of nuances. Um, the, the one standout piece, for me at least, was um, that they, they tend to be a little bit more flexible. Mm-hmm. And 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 not work by a anyone rule book playbook. Um, you know, you take a, a a sort of transaction situation, and actually, um, and we spoke to one respondent about this that in that scenario they don't necessarily follow the the very prescriptive rules that a, a, a U.S. or a European business would. Um, instead, they would look at the scenario and, and decide as and when they're going to communicate and, and exactly what they're going to communicate rather than um, no response, or uh, which, is, which is typically what happens in, in that scenario in a Western business. Mm. I think uh, some of the other surprising findings for us were the rise of um, corporate citizenship and sustainability mm. being uh, very forefront um, in in most people's roles uh, mm-hmm. that um, uh, I think is would be surprising for most readers as well mm. um, and also the the rise and, and importance of internal communications yeah. um, this area particularly I would say is not um, not well developed in in this region as a as a sort of standalone or at least um, separate tier of communications and and it's clearly becoming increasingly important for a lot of these businesses when when I was in um, in not just in Davos but in general over the last 
few few months, even over the last couple of years, one of the things you hear a lot about is how employee engagement has become such a primary factor now in, in, in the sort of whole communications equation. Is that what's driving the importance of internal comms here in Asia as well? Certainly change mm. seems to be driving that. Um, you know, I, I guess a lot of these economies in this part of the world are growing very rapidly and, and therefore there is a need for, for constant change and adaptation. And that seems to be driving the importance of it. So I, I guess that there is a strong linkage there to employee engagement. However, one of the um, key findings here was that uh, the reporting lines uh, were changing from um, where internal communications had traditionally in this part of the world been sat under HR, that is changing and, and shifting to communications, which uh, does beg the question, is it driven therefore by employee engagement? Because HR is, is normally a strong mm. um, uh, component of that employee engagement piece. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting change. I think we have actually seen we have seen that shift elsewhere as well. Yes. Um, the growth in stature is something that, that you've mentioned in the report. Now, there's sometimes been this kind of traditional view that communicators are perhaps taken less seriously mm. um, within Asian companies. Sometimes they're within the sales department uh, in, in some Chinese companies or they report into marketing. But your report finds that they are increasingly senior and reporting to the CEO. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's important to point out that this study looked at listed businesses only. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a big caveat that we, we have not looked at probably the large majority of businesses in this part of the world, which are either state-owned enterprises or family-owned businesses, privately-owned. Mm -hmm. um, but that said, you know, in, in uh, Europe and the US, most businesses that have a, a sizable function are, are the listed businesses. So, you know, there's mm -hmm. a pattern there. Um, but I, I think, you know, there is, uh, there is an increasing, um, uh, it, it strikes me, an increasing interest from CEOs and leaders who have seen other leaders from Asia develop a, a profile um, or of, of their own or, or for their business on the global stage. And I, I think that is what, in a sense, is, is driving this. Um, you know, when, uh, when one CEO has seen good communications uh, support a business in the, in the past, they will gener generally then invest in that in the future. And, and so, you know, I, I think um, whilst not every business, for sure, takes, takes the function um, uh, ser that, that seriously and, and, you know, as you say, many have it sat within, within sales and not necessarily reporting directly to, to the board, there are plenty that do in this part of the world and I'm, I'm quite sure it's a, it's a trend and it will will continue. Mm -hmm. we, we do a lot of work in uh, looking at functional structures for, for businesses and advising them on, on where to have the reporting lines. Um, and you know we've, we've worked with a number of Asian businesses who have who've asked us to come in and, and actually help them think about where the reporting line should be. And they are, they are often very open to that being to the CEO. Mm. 
You mentioned um, the CEO getting an idea of, of what good communications is. What do you think they think good communications is from an Asian MNC perspective? Is there any difference uh, in terms of how com good communications perhaps is measured uh, at a Western company? That's an interesting question. Um, I think Asian businesses tend to be much more conservative mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and therefore less eager to, to speak up and, and speak out all mm. the time. Um, obviously you get, you get uh, certain businesses that are anomalies in that. You know, I, I think Jack Ma is not your typical mm. uh, Chinese Asian CEO. Mm. Um, so I, I do think, uh, I, I do think there is a, a, a difference in, in how they want to communicate. I don't think they necessarily want the spotlight shone all mm. the time on, on themselves or their leaders. I, I think they think much more holistically about um, the, uh, the business and positioning the business as a whole or particular products from the business rather than positioning their leadership. Mm. Um, yeah, those are probably the... Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because especially in this era where you're seeing these activist CEOs... Absolutely. I suspect that is something that, that um, CEOs in this part of the world might, uh, might struggle with. Shy away from. Yeah, exactly, might shy away from. Um, so from your perspective, what are the skills that you think are most in demand if you're going to lead a communications function? at an Asian MNC? Um, cultural dexterity. Mm. I think that's very important. Uh, I think the, the ability to, uh, to, to sort of work across cultures um, and, and bridge that and at the same time work with uh, the, the local man and global management team um, is, is very, very important. Mm. I think international experience will become increasingly important for these businesses. Uh, having had that experience of working in an overseas market in the US where they may be looking to, to penetrate in Europe, indeed where they also may be looking to, to move into, into those markets will be an important factor for them. Um, I think I, th I think those are, are probably the predominant traits and, and interestingly they're not dissimilar to what you would see from a, a US or a European business either. Mm -hmm. And just more broadly in terms of the trends you're seeing, um, is there still a lot of interest from agency people in making that move to these kinds of senior in-house roles? Yes. I, I would say less. Mm. than there used to be. Okay, why is that? Um, uh, rather promisingly, mm. I, I think, and it's been a long road, but I do think that the consultancy environment in this part of the world has grown up. And, you know, there have been a lot, of, a lot of businesses that have worked very hard in this part of the world to, to sort of prove their value and um, in various different ways to organisations. And I, I think that is bearing out a little bit. 
Um, for sure, it's not for everyone, but that's the same in, in all parts of the world. You know, uh, you look at, uh, it's a pyramid, right? I mean, the, the further you go up it in a uh, communications consultancy, the, uh, the, the fewer roles there are mm -hmm. and, and the less hands-on communications work there is. And so typically what we see in, in all parts of the world is, is that most people who go into communications consulting will, will get to a sort of 10-year, 12-year mark and decide that they want to transition in-house. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, you know, in this part of the world, the attrition rate lower down has always been much higher. Right. I think it's I, I think it's getting better from what I hear okay. and speaking to to others. Even lower down as well. Even lower down. That's always been the kind of desired progression. In Absolutely. A way. That's the, the, you know it, there's this view that work life balance is better in house. Yes. It's an easier life. Yes. Is that the case? I think you have more control in house. Mm over your your work-life balance. Um, I think you're obviously not at the beck and call of multiple clients who are not interrelated. Mm. Obviously you have multiple clients when you're working in-house, but mm. they're all working for the same organisation. So, yeah. so yes, I think you, you have more control over it. Um, you know whether whether you work work less in house. I, I I'm not sure. I think the pace is probably much slower. Mm. One of the other things you mentioned, which I thought was really interesting, was you, you drew attention to a skills gap on the boards of Asian companies where um, they don't really have expertise in terms of investor relations, governance, sustainability. So surely the answer there is to put the communications leader on the board, but it's not necessarily happening that quickly. No. No, it's not happening that quickly, but it hasn't happened that quickly in the US or Europe no. either. No. You know, there is still, there, there are more and more companies who have this sat at that level, but but still not very many. When no, you exco often, but yeah. rarely on the board. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Now, in terms of the region as a whole, where are you seeing the most demand for senior in-house communicators and where do you expect that demand to be most pronounced uh, mm. over the next 12 months? There are two markets where we're seeing a big demand. Um, China, mm. always, and, and not for all organisations. You know, Some organisations have decided that, that it's just too tough, China. Um, but China's a, a big piece of what we do, and Japan, interestingly. Um, we've seen a few dynamics driving the Japanese market. Mm. I, I think they will sustain. I don't think it's a phase. Um, a lot of Japanese multinationals looking for global revenue streams and therefore looking to position themselves in, in other parts of the world. Uh, and mm. the, other, the other piece is actually foreign players in the Japanese market needing either support on the government relations front um, and, and then also businesses who've had particular sort of corporate reputation issues hit them in Japan and they've, they've realised that for many years their Japanese business has operated very independently of the, uh, the international piece for them mm -hmm. and that they, they are therefore 
reshaping those organisations at all levels to bring them much more into the international fold of their, their organisation. And so we're, we're doing a lot of work with those businesses too. Yeah, it's interesting. It, I, I hear, I've heard similar things about Japan, an idea that perhaps it's opening up a little bit more. I mean, is, do you feel that's, that's true? Is it, is it just because of the Olympics or, or is there a real fundamental shift here? Yeah, it's in, everyone, you know, wonders, to be honest, whether, whether it is just the Olympics and, or, and whether this will sustain. I believe it will sustain. Um, I, I think that uh, there have been a number of, of things that have affected that market, uh, particularly, you know, uh, corporate governance issues that, that are, are driving this as well. Um, change is, is difficult, though, you know, and... Um, the Japanese culture uh, around employment is a very strong one um, and uh, you know I, I don't think that it's particularly easy to parachute somebody into Japan at a certain level in the organization and it, it expect that the Japanese business is suddenly going to practice and, and operate in the same way as the business does elsewhere in the world mm. um, it's you know uh, they're, they're looking for, for big cultural overhaul and mm-hmm. that's that's very challenging right it is yeah I mean it, it seems more likely that the people they hire change rather than the companies themselves right? I think <laughs> it's a, a bit of both right meeting meeting halfway sure um, so I'm curious to know once you've reached that level you're the you're the top communications person uh, let's say at an Asian MNC, where do you go after that? Well, I, I guess it depends on one of the reasons we're in business, in all honesty, is that um, people in this, this field and this industry tend to want to stay within it and, and therefore will, will often, if they've got to that top level, decide to move to a new organisation for new challenges or if there's a leadership change, they will, you know, there's typically a high turnover. Um, comms people follow their leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the other options are to broaden, and, and we've seen, you know, a lot of people in this field, in all honesty, um, not necessarily so much here in Asia, although I know a few, who who have decided to pick up other other skills and you know, that might be, it might be adding investor relations to your, to your remit. Um, it, it might be stepping, stepping out and doing a, a business role, um, depending on what your ambitions are. I mean, if your ambitions are to, to broaden and do, do something outside of comms, then I, I am very encouraging and I think it's important that people do uh, seek those opportunities that um, that will give them uh, different exposure to the business. Maybe marketing, mm. um, which is obviously a, a very close cousin of, of this field, becoming closer. Um, mm. You know, uh, getting that experience can can really help actually to uh, to elevate mm. your um, uh, your position in an organisation. So one of the trends we've seen globally, and we've, we've written about it a lot, is the convergence of marketing and communications. Uh, on the corporate side, we have seen more companies combine those functions, although it's still, it's, it's not a, a, a deluge by any, by any means. It's, it's, it's steady progress, I would yeah. call it. Do you see that happening in Asia? Yes, 
Mm. Very definitely. Um, And actually, I would say parts of Asia, it's happening more rapidly than we've Mm -hmm. seen it in in Europe and the US. Um, I know I've spoken a lot about China, but I I believe that, you know, one of the reasons this convergence is is happening is is really to do with the rise of, of different communications tools, social media digital channels and and this um, that area forming a, a stronger bridge between communications and marketing because they both want to draw off it if you look at the China market there are some you know there are some amazing tools and channels out there mm. um, and and so we've actually seen a a, a sort of very rapid convergence of, of these two areas. And, and perhaps that's also because the function itself, communications, um, is not, you know, it, as I said, it's, it's still developing. Um, it's still in its nascent phase and stage, and therefore it's not as, not as sort of strictly defined. And I think that's, that's made a big difference. Mm. So it's digital-fueled convergence, which, uh, yeah. which makes sense. Um, when you see these uh, functions converging, do you get an impression of who is more likely to head the converged function? <laughs> I.e., is it more likely to be the comms person or the marketing chief? Do you know what? I, I think it depends on the organisation, mm. in all honesty. Um, I think typically organisations that are um, very consumer-facing, fast-moving consumer goods they tend, marketing tends to trump. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is, I, I think what we've seen in, in the US and, and Europe particularly is, is a bit of a battleground between these two areas. And, and it, it really, um, how rapidly that convergence ha- has happened or not is, is more to do with politics, I would say, than, mm-hmm. than anything else. It's more to do with the person rather than the structure. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a... A really great observation, and, and certainly one we've seen um, in in uh, numerous examples. Mm. I think, Sarah, thank you so much sure. for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today, and um, you can find this research report on your website. Yes, uh, and I'd, I'd uh, encourage everyone to read it, especially people who have an interest in uh, in-house communications uh, in Asia, because there's some some very interesting findings here. Uh, and it would be great to get you back uh, on the podcast again in the not-too-distant future. That would be wonderful. Love it. Thank you all for listening. Uh, as always, a big shout to our partner, March Communications, uh, our production team at Marketeers. Uh, you can listen to us on all of the various podcast channels. We would always ask um, that, you can, that you rate and review us on iTunes. It's um, always very helpful. You can get in touch with us on social media, uh, via email. You can even phone us up. We'll be back next week. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by March Communications. Connecting innovation and people.